Hey, let's start with this this morning. How many people here are afraid to fly? Afraid to fly? A few of you afraid to fly? How many people are you are afraid to fly when you're sitting in the airport, your flight has been canceled, and there's thunderstorms all around the airport? Changes the answer a little bit, right? Um, I heard a story about a guy that was in just that situation. His flight had been canceled. There was thunderstorms all around the airport. He was getting more and more nervous, right? And so he was pacing the hallways of the airport. And then the old days, I don't know if anybody remembers this, there used to be vending machines with insurance policies. Does anybody remember this? There was a life insurance machine there, and it sold a policy for $100,000 for the untimely death of a, of a passenger on an airplane for just three bucks. And so he thought, well, this is, a, I look outside, and he started thinking about his family. So he paid the three bucks, got the life insurance policy. Immediately, he felt pretty good. And so he was feeling better about the situation. He was walking the aisles. He went to go get something to eat. He found a Chinese food place, and he was enjoying his Chinese food and feeling a little bit better until he opened his fortune cookie. And his fortune cookie said this, your recent investment will pay big dividends. Life insurance is worry with a dollar sign behind it. Do you know what I'm talking about here? We have life insurance. Nicole and I have some term life insurance. Uh, I did the math yesterday. We have spent about $10,000 in life insurance premiums. Uh, it, it expires at age 70. At age, if I get to my 70th birthday, I will stop paying life insurance and they will have won. Right? They've gotten all my money and I get nothing back. So my big plan is the day before my birthday, my 60th, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. That's, that's what's going to happen. My father-in-law refuses to buy life insurance because he says, I don't like any investment where I have to die in order to win. And that makes sense to me. Now, please don't go cancel your life insurance. Pastor Steve said, Pastor Steve said, don't cancel your life insurance policy. But how many people here struggle with worry? Yeah. Oh, you liars. There's more of you. Um, how many of you struggle with lying? Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, the kind of worry that goes like this, there's a, we got more month left at the end of the money, right? The kind of worry that goes like this, you ever look into the mirror and you think, is that a wart or a growth? You know what I'm talking about? The kind of worry that says, hey, did you hear that sound the car's making? Is the car making a sound? I think the car's making a sound. Like, we deal with worry every single day, and today is for you. We are going to talk about worry. Our key verse this morning is this. It's in Philippians chapter 4. You need to remember Paul is writing this from prison. He is locked in prison as he writes this. And it says this, always be full of what? Joy in the Lord. I say it again, what? Rejoice. Let everyone see that you're you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. And here it is. What are we supposed to do? Don't worry about what? Anything. Instead, we're supposed to about? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you experience what? God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Today we are going to talk about calming your anxious mind, our racing mind, our illogical mind, our whacked out, uh, messed up mind. Anybody else have one of those? It's, that's the way it is for me. And the opposite of worry and anxiety is peace. That's what we're looking for. Look at the person next to you and say, peace, man. Peace, man. 
and then look back at them and say, I can dig it, I can dig it, right? And we have said all along that this is the main point of this entire series, and here it is in your outline notes. It goes like this. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And that's really good news if you are having good and positive thoughts. Helpful, positive thoughts. Like, you can actually gain some momentum in your life when you are focusing on positive things. And we looked at it a few weeks ago. In fact, the verse, it's right after those verses that I just read, says this. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on these things. But it's really bad news when your thoughts are negative. And, and you're filled with worry and anxiety and because those negative thoughts produce ruts in your mind. And we talked about that. Those ruts lead to worry. And worry, if it's left unchecked, leads to anxiety, right? And anxiety is at epidemic levels in our society. And we need some peace. Well, let me show you where peace comes from. Peace comes from prayer. We see it in that scripture so clearly Philippians 4, 6, right in that passage, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. It says, pray about everything. Everything. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. No matter what it is, no matter how small or how big, there's nothing too small to bring to God. You ever hear people sometimes say, I love it when people say this, well, I guess now all we can do is pray. You ever heard people say that? You ever wonder what God in heaven is thinking when somebody says that? Well, I guess now that's all we can do is pray. God's up there thinking to, uh, to himself, uh, uh, really? Come on, man. I, I spoke the world into existence. Remember that? Remember the Red Sea? I just parted the Red Sea. I, 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 you know, I, the walls at Jericho, boom, brought them down. I mean, the sun stands still in the middle of a battle for hours and hours. Like, this is the God. You th- picture God going, Jesus, 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 come over here. All they can do now is pray. Jesus is like, oh, that's all they can do now is pray. Jesus is like, remember me? Right? Remember me? You're out of options. Water into wine, feeding the 5,000. I healed deaf people. I healed blind people. I healed paralytics. I brought people back from the dead. You remember all this? And, oh, but all you can do is pray now. Um, peace comes from bringing our worries to the God who is all-powerful in prayer. And I want to give you a real-world example of this in our church. My friend Ron Burchard, come on up here, Ron. I, I, I just want to ask you a question. Many of you know Ron. He greets you every Sunday as you walk in and out of church. But Ron, it hasn't been that long ago that you faced some bad health news, right? Correct. Correct. What'd you find out? Well, uh, back in March, I had a scan done that said I had a tumor in my right urinary tract. A few days later, I, we, my wife and I and my daughter spoke with our surgeon, and she said that they were going to take out the urinary tract and the kidney. And, but then I had three weeks between that decision and the surgery. So, tell me about those three weeks. Tell me about how you felt when you got that diagnosis and how, how Jan felt and how the kids felt. We all felt very anxious and concerned because the C word, the cancer word, is very... It doesn't care how old you are or what you've done in your life or anything like that, and it scares you. And we were anxious. So the first thing we did was pray about it, and of course we asked God for a complete healing 
But we also ask God to have it done in his way, not ours. And then Jan said, I need to share, we need to share with our close friends, which we did. And then it spread through this church like wildfire. The prayer. I'm going to try to do this without breaking up, but I don't think I'll do it. Anyhow, um, I got calls, I got emails, I got text messages every day for that next three weeks from somebody saying they were praying for me. Every one of those was a prayer. Every one of those was a blessing to remind me that God's in control and I'm just along for the ride and uh, trying not to be a backseat driver along the way. Uh, But those prayers not only help me, they help my wife and my kids to know that the church family was supporting us, loving us, and praying for us and making us feel that God was, reminding us every day that God was there. Every time I would, the slightest chance of feeling a little anxious, my phone would go off and it would be a text message or it would ring and it would be one of, our, one of the people in the church calling letting me know that they're praying for us. They also said they were praying for my caregivers. So I told everyone at the hospital that they were being prayed for and to a person, they thanked you for their prayers. One nurse even looked at me and said, I'm here because this is where God put me. So that reminded me that he's still in control. And I still have some more steps to take over the summer, and I have no doubt that this church family will continue to pray for me. And it's just, there is no, I mean, I don't want to say there's no concern, there is a little bit of concern, but I know that God's in control, and he's taking care of it. And prayer is what's doing it. Your prayers and God's grace, without those, and without the reminder that you're praying for somebody, they, you can say it, but the reminder is what really helps. Yeah. And, and God's peace washes over oh, you. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he, it does. Yeah. Thanks, Ron, man. Uh, it is, it's a joy to pray with you, for you, and watch that happen. Yeah. You're going to find something crazy. There are some actual studies that show this. Prayer actually changes the chemistry in your brain. Prayer actually changes the chemistry in your brain. I referred to this, uh, gosh, about six months ago. I talked a little bit about this during the holiday season. Uh, I told you we were going to get a preview of this message, and it's because this is like some actual facts from the world of science. Philippians 4.7 says this. Philippians 4.7 says, Then you will experience God's what? Peace, which ex- uh, exceeds anything we can. And his what? Peace. Will guard your hearts and... Minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Get this, in your brain, in your brain, you have this little almond-sized part of your brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala triggers fight or flight. It sends these really strong doses of adrenaline. You can't really control it, but when it fires, it basically just says to you, be on guard. You're in danger. Just be ready. It's like danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson, okay? That's what it's like. When you see a poisonous snake, you don't think about it. You just jump and move. Or if you're like me, if you see any snake, you just just, I don't need to be in back in biology class. Is that black with red stripes? I don't know. I just jump. You know what I'm saying? You you get away from it because of that. And, And when somebody merges into your lane, you don't have to think about it. You just immediately go, whoa. You you know what I'm talking about? That's your amygdala firing. It kicks in. When your phone rings at 3 a.m. and your amygdala kicks in, uh uh-oh, what's wrong? What's going on? 
And your amygdala, this is interesting, your amygdala is not objective at all. It just gets triggered. It is hardwired to protect us. But those doses of adrenaline literally flood our prefrontal cortex. And our prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that's logical. So when you hear a noise in the middle of the night, your amygdala jumps up and says, we're all going to die. And then your prefrontal cortex says, I think that sounded like the doggy door. Maybe the dog just went out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And, and, and so you, you say, it's okay. Back to DEFCON 1. Let's go back to sleep. Right. But in your life, Maybe because of some fear or hurt or some trauma that you've endured at some point, there are certain people, places, or or circumstances that will trigger you. And you get these feelings of anxiety and fear. And without even knowing it, your amygdala fires and your mind races to this worst case scenario and you're overwhelmed by a runaway mind. But get this. This is a quote from a gal named Dr. Carolyn Leaf who wrote a book called Switch on Your Brain. And they've done research on this. Get this. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change your brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. They can see the change in your brain if you spend 12 minutes in focused prayer over an eight-week period. So just as your toxic thoughts can harm your brain, Prayer can actually heal your brain and transform your brain and renew your mind, right? Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by renewing your mind, by changing the way you think. Your mind can be renewed by prayer. So, what steals your peace? Why do we worry? Why do we suffer from anxiety because uh, anxiety is just worry on steroids is what it is. See, the amygdala, when it fires, it robs you of your peace. That's not always bad. We do need some fight or flight in our world. But if you have an amygdala hijack where your amygdala is hijacking your brain, you think to yourself, oh, I better work harder. Oh, I better worry about this some more. I better stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning thinking about this all night long. And here's the truth of this. Ready? Worry is simply, a definition of worry might be this. Worry is just not trusting the promises and the power of God. It's just not trusting the promises and the power of God. You're essentially telling God this. I don't trust you. I don't believe in you in this situation. I don't think you actually care about this. I don't think you're going to come through this time, God. Now, I want to give you a tangible example of this from Scripture This is from the Old Testament. It's from the prophet Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we see Elijah gets his goat moment. You guys know what goat means, right? What does goat mean? Greatest of all time. This is Elijah's moment that he could make his case for being the goat of prophets. Many of you know this story. It's on Mount Caramel. And and, uh, Caramel, that just makes me hungry. I don't know why. Uh, It's it's on Mount Carmel. And uh, and he's, uh, he's he's the last prophet of God, really. And he's facing off against 450 prophets of Baal, this false god. And uh, he basically has this showdown with them. And he basically says, many of you know this story. They build two altars. They say, I'll tell you what, you cut up a bull on your altar to sacrifice. I'll cut up a bull on my altar to sacrifice. We'll both pray to our God to rain down fire on our altars. And then we'll know who's the real God. We'll know who's the real God. And so they say, great, okay, accepted, challenge accepted. They start coming. He says, you go first. 
So they'd carve up, never go first in that situation, okay? You go first. So he, they carve up their bowl, they put it on there, they start calling out to Baal. They're calling out to him for hours and hours. And then, and this is maybe one of the reasons I like Elijah, he starts trash talking. Do you know about this? He starts trash talking to the other prophets. He says, he says uh, nothing's happening. Maybe you need to shout a little louder. Uh, and, and I love it. He says, maybe your God is daydreaming. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe Baal's using the outhouse right now. That's what he says. It's in the Bible. Go look it up. I'm not making this up. Go look it up. He says, maybe he's in the outhouse right now. And, uh, and, then, and then Elijah, after all of that, after all this show and whatever, basically he walks over to his idol, uh, to his altar, and he basically says, he, he prays the simplest prayer in the history of, 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 it basically goes like this. God, show him. And, and the fire rains down, and it takes the bowl, and it takes the altar, and it just, the stones vaporize into dust, and, and, and everything happens. And at that moment, it's like mic drop moment, right, for Elijah. Now, I want you to get this. Check the very next verses. These are the very next verses in 1 Kings 19. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. When they lost the, uh, the contest, basically the people seized the prophets of Baal and they were all killed. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was what? Afraid. And what else did he do? fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Continues on, it says, then he went on, how? Alone, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he, what? Might die. He says, I have had enough, Lord. You ever said that to God? I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah has come off the greatest victory of his life. And in just a few verses, he's filled with anxiety. He's depressed and even suicidal. And you think to yourself, how in the world does that happen to a guy that had just come off one of the greatest victories of his life? And my response to you is, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. So, I want to talk about what do we do when anxiety strikes. What do you do when anxiety strikes? This is not on your notes. I apologize. You may need to write this first point into your bulletin because uh, where I came from, I was in a little church where if I wanted to change the outline, even on Saturday night, I could do that. Not here. That ain't the way it happens here. So I want you to, but as I was studying this, I thought I can't gloss over this. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Don't isolate yourself. You're going to need to write that into the margin. Don't isolate yourself. In 1 Kings 19.4, it says this. It says, he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he what? He left his servant there, and then he what? Went on alone. He went on alone into the wilderness. We are the loneliest generation in the history of the face of the earth. Here's the crazy part. Not all of us. Not all of us. About 80% of the world who lives around campfires and doesn't have doors on their huts, they're just fine. But we, here in America and in the Western world, 
With all of our advancements in technology, we have the highest rates of anxiety and depression in the history of the world. And we need some anti-anxiety. We need some anti-depressants is what we need. Johan Hari is a guy who does an excellent TED Talk on anxiety and depression. He wrote a book about it based on his personal experiences. And, and he studied this topic all around the world. And he tells this story. And I love this story. He tells about a South African psycho- psychiatrist, a guy by the name of Dr. Derek Summerfield. And Summerfield happened to be in Cambodia in 2001. And he was coming into Cambodia to introduce chemical antidepressants, right? Medication. And he went to the local doctor, and the Cambodians had never heard of these drugs. And so they were like, well, what are they? And so Dr. Summerfield explained what they are. Um, And the doctors from Cambodia said, oh, we don't need those. We've already got antidepressants. And Dr. Summerfield was like, wait, 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 what do you mean? Like, what, what are you talking about here? He thought maybe they were talking about some ermal remedy. Maybe it was St. John's Ward or Gilco Balboa or something like that. Instead, they told him this story. And here's the story. A farmer in their community who had worked in the rice fields, uh, one day as he was working in the rice fields, he tripped a landmine and it blew off his leg. Um, it was left over from the war and his leg was blown off. So they got this man an artificial limb. And, and after that, after he got his artificial leg, he went back to work in the rice fields. But apparently it's super painful to work underwater with an artificial limb. And, uh, and I'm guessing it was pretty anxiety field to walk back into the rice fields where you had had your one leg blown off for. And uh, it was pretty traumatic for him. And so this guy started to cry all day long. And he refused to get out of bed. And he had all the symptoms of classic depression, right? And the Cambodian doctor that said to him, that's when we gave him the antidepressant. And Dr. Simmerfield said, well, what is it? And he says, well, they explained that they sat down with him. And they listened to him. And they realized that his pain made absolute sense. Right? It, it was hard for him to see it in the throes of, of his depression, but actually it had perfectly understandable causes while he was in that situation. And one of the doctors talking to the community figured out, he said, you know, if we got, bought this guy a cow, he could become a dairy farmer. And he wouldn't be in the position that was messing him up so much. He could go, he wouldn't have to go and work in the rice fields anymore. So the community bought him a cow Right? And within a couple of weeks, his crying stopped. And within a month, his depression was gone. And so this Cambodian doctor looked at Summerfield and said, so you see, doctor, that cow was an antidepressant. Is that what you mean? Listen, if you've been raised thinking about chemical, you know, antidepressants the way that I have, you know, that sounds like a bad joke was I went to the doctor to get some antidepressants and I got a cow, Right? Doesn't sound right. But you got to understand the way this works. What those Cambodian doctors knew intuitively, based on a single example, unscientific, I admit, but at the end of the day, the World Health Organization has been saying the same thing, been trying to tell us based on the best scientific evidence. If you're depressed, if you're anxious, you're not weak, you're not crazy, you're not a machine with broken parts. You're a human being with some unmet needs and some unhealthy thinking. 
And it's just as important to... It's so important to understand what these people did not say to this guy. They didn't say, hey, buddy, pull it together. They didn't say, it's your job to figure this out and fix it. No, on the contrary, what they said is they said, we're here as a group to pull together with you. So together we can figure out this problem. Listen, people, we need each other. Now more than ever, we need each other. And if we don't start living differently... Right? If we don't start doing life differently, if we don't get off, we have been isolated on our phones doing the death scroll for hours. We have been isolated sitting alone on a couch or on a bed, endlessly watching hours upon hours upon hours of streaming entertainment. Like if we don't come together and do life together, you, you'll survive this life, but that's it. You won't thrive, I can guarantee you. And I guarantee you when the problems come, anxiety and depression will be knocking at your door. See, the cow isn't an antidepressant. The people and the community was the antidepressant. So, let's continue on and see what else Elijah dealt with. The second thing is this, take care of your body. Take care of your body. 1 Kings 19.5 says this, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, what? Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some what? Bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he, and, and then what else? For some of you, if you are facing anxiety right now, the best thing you can do this afternoon is go home and take a nap. Some of you come to church to take a nap. It's okay. I know who you are. It's just me looking at you, so... It's all right. I'm good with it. But sometimes that's what we need to do. We got to take care of our body, right? Worry, anxiety robs us of sleep, and then we walk around like a zombie all day long, right? Some of you, you, stress, you know what else stress causes? Stress causes cortisol to build up in your body. How many people know about this? Cortisol is this, is this chemical enzyme inside of you that, that immediately makes you hungry and stores fat. Do you know the reason I do not have washboard abs? Anxiety. That's it. Like, like, it affects your body. It affects your body. And don't get me started on hangry. How many people know what I'm talking about, about hangry? You ever, you ever get in the, in the car with your wife and like, why are you so, oh, we're going straight to the, you know what I mean? Going straight to eat. Because you, you got worry, you got problems, you got anxieties, and you're just a little bit hungry. You've you got to do something about that. Do not look at your spouse right now if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Don't do that. Um, so the first thing the angel does is he stops off at Panera. He drops some bread on the hot stones next to him. He, he, he gives him some water, and he takes care of Elijah's body through sleep and nutrition. And then get this, and this is the important part. He, Elijah experiences God's presence. He experiences God's presence. In 1 Kings 19... 11, it says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there, and the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the what? He wasn't in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a what? Fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
What are you doing? Get this, God was by Elijah's side every step of the way. He had watched God rain fire down. He had woken up from a nap and found fresh baked bread next to his head. Like God's presence was with Elijah the entire time. Do you know what Elijah's name actually means? The L in Elijah is short for Elohim. Elohim is, it means God. The I in Elijah means my. And the Jah of Elijah is short. It's one of the ways the Israelites would shorten Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the name of God. Elijah's name literally means Yahweh is my God. That's what it means. But he forgot about God because he, he just got overrun by worry and anxiety. See, the funny thing is, is when we get fixated, we get fixated on the presence of our problems. And in that moment, we tend to lose our focus on the presence of God. When we get fixated on the presence of our problems, we lose our focus on the presence of God. God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. And then it got quiet. Really quiet. And you heard a whisper. When you are feeling anxious and overwhelmed, you have to listen for God's voice and he's whispering to you. Can you picture Elijah in this thing? He's pulling his hoodie up over his head and he's listening really closely to hear the whisper. You know what I'm talking about? You want to know why whispers are... Let me tell you two things about whispers. Somebody who's whispering to you is close already. Because if not, they wouldn't whisper. And when they start to whisper, do you know what our response is? Our response is to move in closer, to hear what he has to say. And I feel like that's what God does in that moment. He wants us to lean into him and to lean into his presence. And Elijah had had enough at this moment. He was done. But God said, listen to me, because when you've had enough, I'm enough. I'm enough. And so lastly, I want you to see this one last thing. And it's that we would praise God even in our worry. Praise God even in your worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift to the New Testament. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And Paul's in jail again like he always is. I don't know why he's always in jail, but he is. And in Acts chapter 16, it says, A mob formed quickly against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them what? Stripped and beaten with wooden rods. It's a bad day. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Like, these boys are crazy. (laughs) Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation, and all the doors flew open, and the chains of the prisoner fell off. Can you imagine this? I mean, imagine this moment, right? Imagine being thrown into a cold, hard, damp cell ground. And you still have wounds from where you've been beaten. Maybe a broken nose and a couple of broken ribs. No doctors, no nurses, no no bandages, no ibuprofen. You ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? You hit the ground when you get a diagnosis of cancer for someone you love. You hit the ground when you find out your kid is on drugs. Or you hit the ground hard when you find out your spouse is cheating. In those tragic moments, what will you do? 
Because what did Paul and Silas do? And I just can't get over it. Uh, they were singing praises. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praise. I don't know why I went back to the 1980s in youth group, but I'm trying to picture them singing in this circumstance. It seems a little odd. And the question is, what are you going to do? Because they were praising God before God had even provided for them. They were praising God. When the earthquake hit, they were mid-second chorus or something like that. Like they had already been praising God when the miracle hit. And, and I think too often we are waiting for God to show up and fix the situation and then we'll praise him. But God says instead, praise him. Change your perspective. Look at things a little bit differently. Praise him. What if you praised him first instead of praising him after? Because here's the crazy thing, right? When we're worried and anxious, we tend to lose our perspective. And praising God is all about perspective. Look at this right here. A change of perspective leaves us to praise God. And praising God changes our perspective. It just changes the way that we see things. Sometimes you have to shift your perspective. You ever think about that? Check out this image right here. Look, from this guy's perspective, he thinks, a boat! Yes! Finally! And from this guy's perspective, he thinks, land! It's the same facts. It's just a different perspective, right? And the truth of the matter is, is that you have to shift your perspective away from everything that's worrying you and shift it on to praising God and all the ways he's been faithful to you and all the ways he's provided for you in the past and all the things that are right and good in your life, even in the midst of whatever you're going through right now, the ways you're blessed, even in the midst of your worries. Philippians 4, 4, at the very beginning of this passage, says, always be full of what? Joy in the Lord. I will say it again. What? Rejoice. Which leads me to? So So what, Steve? Well, let me tell you a little something here. You ready? We all have stuff we worry about, amen? I'm not trying to paint some picture where we don't worry. We We all worry about stuff, right? So we're worried about this stuff, and the good news is is you don't have to worry alone. You've got a good God. You have a good God who walks through life with you. You're not on your own. So what do we do? Well, if you're a follower of God, right, we take our worries and we give them to God. Whatever you're worrying about, we take our worries and we take them out and we, we give them to God. We say, God, I'm worried about this. Uh, I, I'm going to pray about this, and I'm, I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to trust you with my worry. Whatever it is, you give it to God. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says this. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he what? He cares about you. He cares about you. And then I don't know if you're like me, but you wait, and then you get freaked out, right? Because it's been 10 minutes, and God, you haven't answered yet. God, you haven't answered yet. Why haven't you answered yet? And what we do, both symbolically and even in some ways in real time, we take it back from God and we say, I got this, let me ha- I'll handle this, God. Like, like, let me handle it. I got it. And you take it back from God. That's essentially what we're doing when we're worrying, right? We, we prayed about it, but I haven't seen you do what I want you to do, God, and God, you haven't fixed it fast enough, and, and, and so we take it back, and we take it back from God, and we put it back into our worry bucket. Well, why do we do this? Well, most of the time it's because your God is too small and your worries are too big. 
You need a bigger God, and you need some smaller worries, right? You, you need to, whenever you're taking, whatever it is that's weighing you down right now, right now, I, as you hear my voice, you know exactly what is your main worry in your life. You know exactly what is causing you anxiety right now. Whatever it is, I'm asking you to give it to God, to, to put it in, in God's box, right? You can even, you can make your own God box at home if you want. It may not be as nice as my God box, but you can make a, you could take a, a shoe box and make a God box. You could take a Amazon, you guys have Amazon boxes laying around. I know you do. And write God on the side of it, and you could literally, whatever it is that God's got, some of you, you're like, this is lame, Steve, I would never do that. But some of you, it might be helpful to write out what you're actually worrying about and toss it in the God box, Right? And, and, and the funny thing is about with prayer and petition, we take it to God. For some of you, it might be money. You're like, I don't know how we're going to make it right now. And so you put some money and you say, God, I'm giving it to you. I don't know what to do about it. For some of you, it's your, it's your health. You're not sure how this thing is going to shake out, the diagnosis that you got. For some of you, it's the people you love. I've got three beautiful daughters and so I got three kids here and they sometimes fight about you took my sweater that wasn't your sweater you, you left my towel on the floor Mer. okay <laughs> some of you actually have more kids than that like the Caravellas you got an extra kid you got some more kids right you just keep adding the kids to the God box right you know what I'm talking about but anytime you find yourself worrying about it again, you have to go back in the box and you have to physically take them out of the box and say, God, I just, I'd like to handle this for a while. It brings it into stark perspective. You're symbolically choosing to worry. You're choosing to take it back from God. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Give your worries to God and then don't take them back. Give your worries to God and don't take them back. Say, Steve, what worries you right now? I have a daughter that just recently moved to Wisconsin. I should have thought about the two-year deal at the very beginning. I can tell you right now. But I don't get to see her every day. I worry about her every day. And I've never learned so powerfully in my life how much all I have is God and all I have is prayer to offer her to him. God protect my baby. I have a wife who I love deeply, immeasurably, really. And she struggles with chronic pain. And no matter what we've tried, no matter what remedies we've thrown at it, money, medicine, she just struggles with it every day, and every day I come home and I wonder how much pain she's in every day, and I worry about her every day. I worry about this church. It's a heavy responsibility to be a part of a church, and even to be a, a, a pastor who teaches, there's a heavy responsibility that goes with that, and I don't want to let you down, I don't want to let God down, and honestly, every time I hear stories of pain and heartache and brokenness, I take that on and I worry for you and with you. And it's a struggle, but you have to give it back to God. And you have to not take it back. What is it that's giving you anxiety today? Would you pray with me? Father God, 
as many of us sit in our anxiety this morning, God, we know we still have it. We know we're fighting it. Father, I pray that you would give us perspective right now on how to, how to offer it to you, to surrender it to you, God. May we be the kind of people who, who live in and become people of peace because we have been people of prayer, who, who, who will change, God, the way that we deal with uh, anxiety and, and even depression, God. We will walk alongside others and be a part of their solution, their antidepressant, God. But I pray more than anything that we will surrender these things to you, give them to you, that you will take our burdens and take our worry and take our anxiety, God, and that you will lift it off of our shoulders and you will put it on your broad shoulders and that you will make a difference in the lives of us who are trying to give our minds back to you, God. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.